episode number 114. This is Greg Duncan. And this is Martin Woodward, back again. I haven't been around. Hey. Well, how are you doing, sir? Good, good. And I'm 114. Not, you know, 114, but it's got to be 114. Yeah. I'm not sure where I was going with that. Well, but, uh... It's fine. No, I like it. You know, I'm still <laughs> I'm still not quite used to this three-digit uh, episode number. <laughs> So uh, what's up, Martin? Yeah, how, how have you been? Good, good, doing better. I'm um, busy at the minute. We're getting ready in. So as we record this, two weeks time, we've got .NET Conf coming up. So um, okay. June 7 tonight. So that's going to be exciting. Um, it's going to be some good um, community content out there. It's like think of the Connect Conference. But then take out all the Microsoft marketing stuff and, <laughs> and just have content. You know what I mean? So that's what .NET Conf is. It's like a much more grassroots ghetto, but still like really interesting people talk about really interesting things, really in depth, and but all online conference. So um, yeah, I'm quite looking forward to it. All online, for which I'm traveling to Redmond for. There you go. There you go. <laughs> um, and it's a free. Free, yeah, yeah, all online. So just go to Channel 9 um, and you can get all the content from there. But if you go to .net, conf.net and then um, just sign up and, you know, make sure you you can, you know, attend and see all the live streams. We'll have all the usual Channel 9 live streaming going on. And then all the right. sessions will be available afterwards as well. And, um, huh. yeah, and if um, we're going to do some stuff with local user groups as well afterwards and try and get people to, you know, if you want to take a session that was given at .net, conf and, and have it at your local user group, then we're going to try and make that easy for you as well. Oh, see how it goes. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I know. And try and just like to try and because um, not everyone can make the live streams, and people have all the intention of making the live streams and then don't, you know. And so, do attend the live streams if you can. Do watch content on Channel Nine if you can. But um, if you want to have a brown bag in your office and like bring, you know, have people round at lunch to watch one of the sessions, that's a good way of doing it. Or if you want to take one of the sessions and then give it to your local user group, we positively encourage plagiarism when it comes to uh, the <laughs> sessions. That's the whole point of doing them. In fact, I was having quite a long and heated argument with somebody just this week about licensing of, um, of training materials and things. Um, I was having to be very firm about the licensing being as absolutely permissive as possible because if somebody takes up that training content that we produce and you know decides to bundle it up make some money for it all, all, all power to them that's that's fine you know the content's already available for free somewhere else but if you want to patch it up and make money off it all power to you because to make money you have to add some value over what we did and anything you do to help teach people about stuff we do is a good thing so why, why not make it the license as absolutely permissive as possible right right there we go how about you awesome uh i just signed up for dot net conf yay <laughs> <laughs> uh, and how are you gonna how are you gonna spread the message of dot net conf in the office do you think is it just gonna be a greg thing or are you gonna rope in some people um, I don't know. I've got another. I've got a, a, a coworker who I'm actually thinking about asking if he wants to be like a guest host on the show. To, to you know, we'll do it both here in the office. I'll get some mics and we'll kind of like do it like a podcast portable portable podcast studio thing. Well, yeah, and then you could use that for practicing the setup for when you go to conferences as well. That might be a good thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he's very. Uh, he's um, his name is Alex, and he's kind of like my opposite almost. Uh, we have a great relationship, and it's definitely you know he's going talking about this thing, and I'm saying, oh no, you're retarded, and he says, no, Greg, you're retarded, and just uh, two different opposing views. He's like a web dev and been a web dev forever, where I've been desktop dev. Um, but he's very interested and keeps up on the news and is keeping me honest on a lot of things. Cool. So he would be I, – I could see him being very interested in like brown, watching the live stream or we'll grab one of our conference rooms and yeah. just kind of have, have the thing go and 
watch that. Well, so. I'll be there. Let me know if you're online, and I'll I'll go uh, I'll go jump in and, and give Dan a kick or something like that. That'd be quite amusing. <laughs> Maybe Seth actually yep. give Seth a kick, kick. But anyway, yeah. So yeah. Uh, beyond that, yeah, just working, w- looking forward to the summer. Cool. Kicked out the kid, the, my my son's uh, at a field archaeology school um, on an uh, island in the Mediterranean, the Spanish island in the Mediterranean. I, I, can't, I always forget the Mallorca? name. Yes. Oh, that's where uh, I'll be going there for my holidays in the summer. Mm. So it's a nice place. It's, it's, it's hilly, not like Georgie. It'll probably just be, you know, enjoying the sunshine and beaches. It's famous for cycling training, believe it or not, bicycle, you know. Because, oh. um, yeah, it's uh, it's a big playground for cy- people who do cyclists. So much so that there are even um, hotels that specialize in and have um, baryonic chambers. Is that the right word, baryonic chambers? So, you know, pr- pressure chambers so you can sleep at, like, half atmosphere and stuff like that. And then that way uh, your body gets used to lower oxygen so that when you actually do go out cycling, you you know, you, you 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 can use the oxygen that's available to you better and things. Right, it's right. it's an amazing place. It's good. It's a good island. <laughs> good, yeah, yeah. He's enjoying himself so far. Cool. So, uh, Was it, yeah, is that his first time to Europe? Uh, for a long time. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's you know had a stopover in Germany for a night mm-hmm. in Romania, I think, on the one of the ways. But yeah, no, this is his, his, he went there by himself, and he's there for five weeks mm. and uh, doing all that good kind of stuff. So that's. Uh, he's having a good time, and, and we have the empty house. Ah, that'd be weird. Almost worth the price of admission to sending him to the <laughs> field artillery, uh, field archaeology school. Yeah, and the field artillery school was a different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, um, I've got to just go on quickly thing before we actually get into it. This is bad. Okay. I, I um, one of my friends uh, is you know he's American, but living living abroad, and you know they sort of get into the age where they're thinking about having a family and things like that. And then they realised that if they were to have a family while they were staying in Europe or the UK, then they wouldn't um they, they, like their kid wouldn't be able to be president <laughs> and they were like am i okay with that I'm like, well, what do you mean this is such an edge case this is, i can this is how much of a developer he is he's like over optimizing <laughs> already <laughs> <laughs> that's a premature op- optimization there. well yeah <laughs> so massive. and so um he anyway and i was like well just like if something happens, just drive to a U.S. Army base, you know, and get and, and demand entry and have the baby there. And he was like, that's a great idea. And I was like, oh, no, <laughs> he's going to be on the news now. Anyway, right then, should we get cracking? We'll do some hardcore stuff. So, um, yeah. yeah, so the Azure Dev Test Lab stuff's been released. Have you taken a look at this yet? No, I haven't. Uh, Derek and I talked about it last. Of course uh, you did, because, of course, I listened to that show already. <laughs> And uh, the way he was describing it sounded very interesting. So uh, it's it's out now. It's like generally available. Yeah, everyone can use it now. And it's um it's sim- we've been using something similar internally for a little while, and it's awesome. Basically, it's really a quick way of setting up um, lab environments. You know, and you've got little scripting things that you can do using the ARM stuff. So that's not <laughs> uh, you, that's not the chipset, as you were saying. It's <laughs> you know uh, it's one of the things that Mickey's busy playing with as well. But um yeah, it's. Uh, it's really good stuff. And the, the interesting thing we found internally is um, people sharing these scripts, these ARM scripts around, so that um, making that really easy. So you can have, as well as the VM images, which are share, you know, which you can obviously share and have a library of. You've also got the steps you do to your VM image after it's created the VM, and right. those shareable as well. So then you really componentize what you do with your prerequisites on your platform in your dev test lab before you actually go do stuff um and i i have um we have that whole azure on-prem thing going on in microsoft as well so we Mm -hmm. have you know the internal cloud thing and i actually have a um 
um, I keep some VMs running um, internally that, that that are set up using this and, and managed with this because uh, it, it also has stuff in there for you know shutting down servers when they've been left on to make sure you don't run up ridiculous bills and you know helping you enable them and just basically doing all the stuff you need to do when you're managing a dev test lab. Um, right. And so I, I I keep some of those and you know set them up using the the, the the setup steps you need and have it running like the latest you know inside a build which is always handy and you can so you can run bash on Windows and stuff like that and not get shouted at when you type ls which is always good and then um, uh, and and we have terminal server gateways as well that we can access so even if I don't have access to a VPN or I'm running off my little Surface you know not even a Surface Pro but my really like rubbishy Surface or even my my not rubbishy but my you know low power Surface machine or my um even my Surface RT machine, crying out loud, I can I can jump on from anywhere in the world and jump onto like a really powerful dev box and just you know that's on on our internal network and just get cranking. So it's awesome. So yeah, Azure DevTest Labs for uh, doing all this stuff in the cloud, which is definitely the best way to do it. And uh, we see a lot of companies using Azure for DevTest, so it's great. We've got a whole offering around there for it. Now, one of the things they advertised when they switched it on was the. Um, you know, integrating it with your existing tool chain. Right, And right. bringing this back to VSTS, uh, Tarun did a great um, blog post about how to hook up um, the Azure DevTest Labs into your uh, VSTS release management pipeline. And mm-hmm. it's super simple. Yeah, and it's super simple, but, but also it's not like super magic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> there isn't like a... Uh, um, dev test lab block that you, you know, uh, right. you've only got four configuration options for. Basically, he shows you what to do, and you just you know you get the VM blob. You you you, you create a VM using the the blob that's in the you know you've got stored out in Azure, and then you um, run some scripts on it. So you you know run some um, PowerShell DSC stuff on it, and go and do some stuff. And then you could also um, take uh, you know very easily just copy files from. Um, you know the the release drop over onto the actual test machine you want, and then go execute them. And yep, so super simple, but um, super low tech and just works, which is awesome. And the thing that Taron doesn't mention, he shows you how to do it with Windows, but you can obviously do exactly the same thing with um, Linux machines as well. Just create a Linux VM and then SSH over to the box and remote execute scripts on the box, or you can um, SCP, so uh, you know copy uh, right. SSH the um, the stuff over to that Linux machine and get cranking as well. And the Azure DevTest Lab stuff has quite good support for Linux, which is good to see as well. As does as does our internal version, which is always crazy when you when you, there you go. Hey, I have a interesting hmm. fact for you that no, that not a lot of people know. Okay, you know Tux, the Linux mascot, the penguin. Right. The guy that drew Tux, he works at Microsoft now. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> Isn't this a whole new world? That yeah. is, yeah. Yeah, because um, wow. uh, Larry came over with, you know, you used to work at Xamarin, came okay. over as part of the Xamarin acquisition. So, um, yeah, uh, so there you go. Isn't that, isn't that just, that just says everything about the new Microsoft, doesn't it? <laughs> the Tux guy is at Microsoft. Yeah, when, when people say, you know, but like, yeah, Larry Ewing works here now. But he, he, I was in OzCon last week in Austin at uh-huh. Larry's base, you see, so I, I, I went, you know, said hi. But yeah. Yeah. Wow. When you say Microsoft loves Linux, the guy that drew Tux works at Microsoft. <laughs> I'll be bumping into Linus in the halls next. Uh, maybe not. Well, yeah. Going totally off script, uh-huh. even there's a, a whole VSTS open source thing at uh, java.visualstudio.com. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, and all, all the, you know, all Team Explorers open source as well nowadays. No, it's just all awesome. Anyway, sorry, that was me going off script. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Java.visualstudio.com, love Java, so do we, and there's a whole bunch of things on the integrations with Java. No, the guys the are doing such a better job now I've left. It's always disappointing. You kind of <laughs> wish they would miss you a little bit. Well, there we go. Yeah, JavaVisualStudio.com. Who'd have thought it? Look at that. It's actually quite cool. And uh, Paul Barnum as well on that team has been doing a load. He's the guy that directly replaced me. Jamie was always my boss. But um, yeah, no. And David and everybody else on the team doing an amazing job. Bless them. <laughs> I'm trying not to sound bitter at saying what they <laughs> Didn't miss me one second. <laughs> So last show mm-hmm. with Derek, we were talking about the the last VSTS release, and we were talking about the checkbox. Yay! The new we finally have check- it. I didn't even notice that. Yeah, and it was just – we were kind of like oh, uh, chatting about how – Silly, it seems that it should be easy to add a checkbox, but uh, Derek Food does a great post here about how hard it kind of was yeah. and the different places where you'll see different values. Because yeah. they had to worry about web access, Eclipse, uh, yeah. Team Explorer, everywhere, Visual Studio Next, Update 3, older Visual Studio Explorers, Excel. I had forgotten about Excel yeah. and, and, and how its integration oh, is. Excel has a drop down with one and zero values. That's weird. Yeah. So he's actually storing it as a Boolean type fascinating huh because the way the way i've yeah we did we had lots of different theories about how we would implement this back in the day when uh-huh. i used to be on the team and one of them was to actually it to be a um a text field but we've actually mm-hmm. gone with zero huh, fascinating that's interesting there we go right well like you live in oh, good, good on them. but no ridiculously hard and there's also a bunch of stuff that needs to change in terms of um query evaluation does he talk about that at all or not yes okay yep, there you go look done. at this cool Wow, oh, so much stuff I've forgotten with that. But yeah, no, we looked at this. I spent I spent many a many a day looking at this, and yeah, you know, doable. I'm glad they've prioritised stuff like this nowadays. They've, they've been doing that a lot lately. You know what I mean? With, with yeah, the customization story and adding things like this, just basically getting rid of all those paper cuts that have just been there forever. And they've actually right. been going back and fixing them. They've been doing a great job over in work. I'm checking. I was telling you, I've been pretty sure I use the Kanban board stuff all the time. Right. My my life is in a Kanban board. So anyway cool um something else donovan brown's got a couple posts right and this is about you know when the 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 favorite development environment that just won't go away it seems um and you know i i pro I, hmm? <laughs> oh no, wow, no that's that's got yeah yeah <laughs> um vb6 Oh, yeah, no, we have even plenty. Uh, there's a lot of VB6 code still out there. There's a lot of people who are, are still very passionate about it. Uh, I have thankfully not written any VB6 code in a long time. I've gotten over it. I'm very happy in my C-sharpness now. But the real world is, is there's a lot of VB6 code still out there. And now, you know, it integrated well with SourceSafe. But what about, like, the new world? What if you guys listening out there, you're, you're, you're nodding. You said, yeah, I got a VB6 app that I have to support. Um, and, and we talk about Visual Studio Team Services a lot. Does that mean you're locked out? No, you're not. Donovan Brown has a great post about building v, uh, VB6 applications with Visual Studio Team Services. And he has it all the way from 
even downloading the VB6 Enterprise from MSDN and all the different setups you have to do and uh, the different check marks. And like, there's like a thousand different steps here and setting up the variable names in the builds, the whole deal. You, so this, if this is a, this is a guy who had to do it and he was like, never again will I have to think, <laughs> do I want to have to remember how to do this? <laughs> That's exactly wow, what this post that. is. is yeah. yeah, I've done this like, twice and you had to reinvent it every time so i'm writing this down so i never have to remember how to do it again yeah. and we just happen to be lucky that he's posting it for all of us donovan's great and another i'm sure self-learned lesson on it he writes about how to keep packages the packages folder out of tfvc so if you're on-prem uh you don't want to check all those binaries in it really seems silly especially because of all the different versions and 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 just that just bloats it all out he gives you a step-by-step guide on how to keep those packages from getting checked in using the tf ignore file which can i say was invented by team prize used to be the tp ignore file the team prize ignore and then it became the tf ignore file um in 2010 was it when we introduced server works uh, local workspaces i think Matt, Matt, did that work. But yeah, no, that's cool. Um, if, if you want to know the syntax for TF ignore file, then um, it's if you have a git ignore file, you can actually, the syntax is pretty similar. There's some stuff you can do extra as well in there. But um, yeah, it's, it's fairly similar to a um, git ignore syntax as well. So anything you read online about those, you can translate to TF ignores very, very quickly, and very easily. Cool. And it's a good that it's a, you notice it's a dot TF ignore file. Yeah. So that on Linux, that file would be hidden. Like, <laughs> say, say thank you, Martin. <laughs> See, I did do something back in the day. It was a long time ago. But yeah, there we go. See, that's, that's one of those things that we're showing you, you know, when Microsoft started, like, thinking about other operating systems as a primary, as a first-class citizen, you know? And it's just little things mm-hmm. like that that I was pleased to see. Anyway, um, so uh, to again, did another on um a bit a, a bit like Donovan's you know I've done this before I don't want to have to remember to do how to do this again <laughs> he shows how to get sonar cubed installed as a windows service with sql server so this using windows authentication so there's three things that are always hard there in java world apart from installing which is you know it's a java thing so it always is hard but running java things as windows services always hard mm-hmm. running java things with sql server Always hard. I'm running Java with Windows authentication, NTLM. Always hard. So he's he's gone for the full Monty and switched and got all three going. So uh, if you want to do either of those three, then it's definitely a blog post to go read. Um, and luckily, uh, Sonar Cube comes with a little um, runner service that that it's got, so you can actually you know install it very easily. Uh, um, but yeah, all good. And then uh, once you've got that. Uh, um, set up as a Windows service. The next thing you want to do is obviously um, get it running with Team Build. Um, so uh, Terran's got a blog post showing you how to do that as well. So we'll stick that in the show notes. At the same time, he's been along with Donovan blogging up a storm. So you know, you and I, we've talked a lot about being a TFS guy mm-hmm. in our, our new GitHub world. Well, yep. Mm-hmm. And, and I've always wondered whether I'm like behind the ball by not doing Git. And GitHub all the place. I don't have a GitHub IO site. Uh, I've only got a couple repos. Uh, you know, and, and should I feel like bad or, or, or you know, um, that I'm missing out? Well, you know what? I am not alone. 
Tim mm-hmm. Murphy blogged about that, a TFS developer in the GitHub world, and he was exposing or talking about the same things. You know, he does TFS all day. You know, what what about GitHub? So he goes through it and he documents his kind of discovery on it. And in the mm-hmm. end, he's basically saying on it, you know, he likes TFS. And if you're a Microsoft development shop, stay, don't feel bad about using TFS and TFVC. It's okay. It's okay to be a TFS and TFVC guy. Well, uh, so there's, and there's two different things there. There's using TFS right. or VSTS, and then there's Git versus TFVC. And even if you're using Git, there's a substantial mm-hmm. difference between Git and TFVC and Git and GitHub, you know? And, right. and it, but it just, just, they're just, they're simple. But they're different, and it's it's the same Git, but um, and yeah, it is fine to use TFEC for sure. It's a perfectly good version control system. Um, bear in mind, if you do use TFEC, then basically your only option is TFS or VSTS. But it's absolutely fine to use it. If you're using Git, then obviously you have a lot you have a lot more choice, which is a good thing. Um, and you can you know you can host it on lots of different people. So there's GitHub, GitLab, um, Alassian, Bitbucket uh stash there's you know vsts and so on and so forth so that is good you have choices and then um with tfs and vsts being able to host git repositories um it does stuff differently um it's just you know there's lots of common features there but it does stuff differently and it's really interesting when you see how different people have chose to approach solve the same problems it's fascinating stuff um and basically tfs and vsts are optimized for you know uh, private team scenarios and mm-hmm. GitHub is optimized right now anyway for like open source scenarios. That's 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 where it's amazing and the, definitely the tool you want to use. Um, but for private team scenarios, you know, it's it's a choice of what you what you're used to, and certainly the um, the issue tracking stuff in. Uh, and the and the agile boards and things, all that sort of stuff's a lot richer in VSTS. But then mm-hmm. over in GitHub World, you've um, they've added voting now to issues, um, which has been a long missing thing for issues. Um, so yeah, where it works, but definitely um, VSTS. Well, you know, this is Radio TFS, so we would think this, but um, you know, <laughs> it, it's uh, well, don't worry about it. I but I personally use VSTS for all my private stuff and GitHub uh-huh. for my public stuff. Well, you know, it's kind of funny that you say that. Martin Hinselwood just did a great post on open source with VSTS or TFS and GitHub for better DevOps. Basically, he's saying that he wants to use – he's been – people have been asking him. Yeah. Just saying that they wanted to use VSTS or TFS for, you know, all of its capabilities, but they want a public repo. You know, yeah. They want it published on um, GitHub for the open source side. Yeah. So he goes through and documents with help from uh, David Corbin yeah. about how, how you can do that. How do you automate the push from v- VSTS to GitHub? All the commands, all the little clicks, all the screenshots, and, oh. and everything is right here for that. Yeah. So that's like using the best of both worlds. Yeah, right? and what you can do as well is what mine's showing you there um, is you're keeping – uh, you keep in the master branches in sync, which is one mm-hmm. which is one thing to do. And what you could also do as well is switch the branch names so that um, 
you have a branch uh, called Upstream or something like that in your um, in in your local Git in your local TFS Git repository. So mm-hmm. um, you can see what the public. It depends. It depends which way you're doing it. Basically, what you don't want to do is ever be over ever be in a position where you need to overwrite a branch because then you get into merge scenarios, which never never end well when you're trying to automate. So if you right. can, if you can make it so that GitHub changes always live in one branch space and TFS get hosted changes live in different branch space then you'll never have conflicts and quite often that's possible because you only ever publish one way but if you if you need to go bi-directional then you can actually in that way we see where he's doing his automated push he's doing git pull so um and he gives it the the um the url of the git repository and then the branch name you can right. you can and then he's got head on uh yeah you can do some branch shenanigans within that command to actually swap some branch stuff around so anyway I, I should probably write a blog post about that sometime, but uh, <laughs> I have I have a um, a Windows scheduled task which just sits there and uh, keeps servers synchronized, you know. But mine's way of doing it as part of the build is actually probably a better way because that way you do it when changes happen and uh, get um, uh, the the STS build stuff, as Martin points out, uh, can be pointed at a GitHub repository just as easily as it can be pointed at a TFS repository. So so your um, and it has webhook support and stuff, so your TFS server can keep things in sync even if the changes happen over on uh, in Gitlab. So yeah, good post, mine. So Martin, you, you, we appreciate we were talking about we we're talking about that post, and we, you brought up the fact that um, GitHub has released private. Well, we've got yeah, they have they basically changed the way. So if you create a new organization on GitHub now, which is what you do for mm-hmm. teams and companies and things, the pricing models changed. So that then the pricing model has um, unlimited private repositories like. You know, TFS is always unlimited to private repositories, but it's a per user pricing model now. Um, but yeah, in my experience, it's fairly expensive. I don't know what you've seen. Or well, Robert McLean actually did a nice post on this one, and he talks about does a side by side comparison between the two. And uh, the the quote here, the, like you said, the TLDR mm-hmm. VSTS is cheaper yet more confusing. <laughs> well, the pricing is that's classic yeah. Microsoft, isn't it? <laughs> We're going to price it cheaper, but we're going to make it really hard for you to be able to tell that, and we're going to make it really, really hard for you to give us a credit card. Uh, <laughs> never mind. But it is cheaper, um, no doubt. Um, and oh, wow, yeah, look, the Robert's numbers is yeah, yeah, wow, that is a lot cheaper actually. Hi, he's even got enter. But yeah, so uh, definitely click on the blog post because that what what I I always look at the retail pricing. But then Robert's got some pricing up for what it would be like if you're an EA customer and things like that. Awesome! What a great what a great post. Um, so, uh, yeah, cool. Richard Fennell has been busy as well, hasn't he, lately? He's been blogging up a storm. This is, we know, it's all the usual suspects. So, a few posts from Richard that come out. Probably my favourite, um, in the past few weeks is, um, he did one about, um, because Richard's been doing some, uh, VS, you know, this is the VSTS marketplace, which we've talked about. Um, well, Richard's been putting, um, a build process around his uh, VSCS extension mechanism so that, you know, he creates a mechanism and can release and stuff like that and, you know, actually have a release management process around it, which is, hey, that's neat, so that you don't 
forget how to do things and he can press buttons on doing things. And he does that by using Jesse's, um, Jesse Howing's VSTS extension task, which is cool. So uh, go through the blog post and explain how to do it. And if you're publishing a, um, a VSTS uh, extension, then you'd be crazy not to use VSTS to do the release management of your VSTS extension. In fact, there should be a VSTS extension for using the release process for VSTS extensions, Richard. Um, I'm, I'm surprised it's not there already. probably is. That's probably what his blog post is about. <laughs> And then uh, a couple of quick things while we're talking about Richard. He, um, he's got um, – we talked about it before, I believe, the the, the uh, release notes, generate release notes extension he has, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know, what everybody wants to do. So if you're not using right. it already, then definitely do it. And um, he just talks about he's got a new version of that, which is pretty cool, and that's all open source. So therefore, he's do it on GitHub. And he also has um, – a thing about when you're migrating work items uh, to VSTS, um, and then you can, you know how um, VSTS now has custom fields. You can use the good old TFS integration platform to actually map stuff over, which is pretty neat. I'd kind of forgotten about that tool, but it's really handy. So, um, yep, one one to use if you really need to do it. So there we go. Awesome. Uh, speaking of extensions, Constantine Erman released a TFS permission visualizer. And uh, as soon as I saw this, I immediately installed it and downloaded it. The one thing he doesn't do is he doesn't put a screenshot in, in this Visual Studio uh, Visual Studio Gallery post. It really needs that screenshot because it really shows the the how cool this is. Basically, you, you point it at a, a TFS server, and this thing worked for me. A TFS is the only thing I tested it on. Mm. Uh, but, you know, if you're managing, like I do, managing a bunch of groups in a, in a d- bunch of different projects and different people associated with it, and you don't know who has access to what, especially if you have uh, um, embedded groups, you know, groups within groups within groups, and uh, trying to visualize how those permissions look and work in each of the different levels within TFS, this tool is a must-have. Mm. And it's open source. Mm. So you got to love that. Definitely. Cool. Well, good one, Constantine. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so so does this give you the permissions of users in version control or like the permissions of a user, what they have access to? Um, the project level. Okay, cool. The, the, the TFS project, yeah. yeah. I, I didn't see it do – no, it was like, you know, whether – do you have contributor or, yeah, what level of access you had within the within the, the TFS project. Now, there is a slightly hidden way of doing this in the admin UI. Mm-hmm. Rightly, so if you go in the in the new version of the web, uh, you know, web control, there is a way. Oh, I'm trying to remember. See, this is how hidden it is. There is a way of figuring out what permissions you have as an individual in the web access. And I'm pretty sure we talked about it before, but I'll try and find the blog post. And if not, and I'll 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 go look it up at some point. But there's a way of actually testing. Hey, as this user, what what rights would I have? You know. Um, and I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go look that up while we talk. Um, so one thing I wanted to mention. Um, the, the, you, I've talked to the, a while ago about my Raspberry Pi like set of East German traffic lights uh, right. sat here on my desk that monitor my build. And uh, Andy Borton's doing a cool little post about um, uh, using his Raspberry Pi three <laughs> overpowered. You could do this with a Raspberry Pi, like, <laughs> but anyway, uh, build light. Um, which is awesome. And he's also getting it up, and he's running the Windows IoT uh, core, which is pretty cool. The Windows IoT stuff on Raspberry Pi is really, really, really neat. It's the dev experience and just like the, the first boot experience is just lovely. And then you're in you're in Visual Studio Code and you just press F5 and it deploys the code over to your Raspberry Pi and runs it. And 
yeah, it's just really, really good. And it all uses UWP apps as well, so you can actually get your UWP app compiled over and running over there. So, yeah, super neat. So that's what he's doing it in. Um, he's using a board. Oh, gosh, let me look up the name of his board again. He's, he's sourced a board because when you're powering lights that have got any serious amount of power, then you mm-hmm. need, you're need you going to be using um, a 12-volt um, uh, light. So the Raspberry Pi itself doesn't output that much um, doesn't output that much current. The Raspberry Pi 3 could output a bit more current than other ones, but it's still very low current, and it's, you know, 5 amps max because it's, you know. Right. Um, but what you want is, like, 12 12 volts and and you know like a couple of amps so to do that you you'll need to um get the raspberry pi to drive a relay and then the relay drives the lights and you can go build all that stuff and there's plenty of people showing you how to do that but you can also Mm -hmm. just buy little add-on boards to the raspberry pi that come with a couple of relays that have little libraries around them that you can just use and he's using one called um uh, the codify uh, build light wow that's a board just for build lights that's amazing so um you can use that one if you want to or i use a a thing called the pi face digital and i'll put a link to that in the show notes as well which is a cool little add-on board um for the raspberry pi that's what i use in my little build light thing and then um he'll go in soon he's not as of the time of broadcast he's not gone in and shown you the code yet but uh, um i'm assuming go figure out what the build status is it's actually um i've got it written in python how to do this because i didn't do it on windows iot in a uwp app i just wrote it as a little python script when i was doing it and um you can call it's a one-line json call you do and um you just go and call it and request the um the status and then go uh go convert that status into you know um, good or bad, and then adjust the adjust the color of the RGB lights, or switch on the lights as as you see fit. So yeah, it's all good. I use some IKEA lights, and then the way I have these IKEA lights set up, um, the IKEA lights have a 12 volt output, and there's four outputs, and so I steal one of those outputs and then run it through a, a the innards of a car cigarette lighter adapter uh, thing. To your car cigarette mm-hmm. adapter to USB. I've like ripped one of those apart, a really cheap one, and then plug soldered that into my IKEA light output, and then on the other end got that powering my Raspberry Pi. So this one little plug from IKEA drives my two lights for green and red, and then also drives my um drives my Raspberry Pi itself. So it was a nice little nice little hack. But at least Anthony's documented on his blog. Is that on my blog? No, it is not. So good. <laughs> Good lad, Anthony. Well, we're coming towards the end, yep. uh, but we can't have, finish up the show without me talking about the ALM Rangers. Definitely not. They have a post migrating from Release Management 2013 to TFS 2015 at Payoneer. And they talk about Payoneer had 160 um, on-agent-based release templates wow. for the different wow. components in RM 2013. And uh, you know they were looking to – how to migrate that and uh, you know just the steps through it. And the ALM Rangers here documented – a lot of things that happened. The solution, they used a migrator tool to pull the release templates that were comprehensive enough to include the type of sequences. Then they went, they created one common release template. They, they talked about the folder structures that they used. And best of all, the scripts. And the scripts are stored out here on GitHub and it's migrate assets from ARM server to Visual Studio Team Services. You know, as Bob, the release manager, I want to migrate my assets from 2015 or 2013 update to ARM server to Visual Studio Team Services, which is using the new release management, the lightweight workflow moving from the quote unquote WPF client version of release management server. So everything is here. They basically got the docs for it. They've got the source, all the, um, 
the code and the scripts and the whole deal. So if you are looking at that, you've got an old release management system and you're just kind of uh, hate the thought of moving to this new cool world, which will be coming to TFS as well in the near future. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a must, again, a must have ALM Ranger resource. Very cool. Hey, so where do people send feedback then, Greg? They can send us at radio TFS at outlook.com. Uh, like Peter Hecht did. Uh, he sent us a question. He was looking for one of the things about, you know, uh, he, he heard that TFS 2015 was supposed to, uh, or limited to SQL Server 2014, and he wasn't sure if that was right, so he emailed us. And we said, no, that's not right. Send him a link to the uh, administration not. requirements. Mm-hmm. Yep. Correct. And it's uh, you know, SQL Server 2012 SP1+. Plus. Mm-hmm. So if you want to send us an email, you ask us questions, you want to give us some feedback, you want to you say you love us, you hate us, uh, send it to RadioTFS at Outlook.com, voicemail. One four two five two three three eight three seven nine. And remember, if your message is safe for work, we'll play it on air, and you can be part of Radio TFS. Uh, contact us at Twitter at radiotfs.com or even our Facebook page slash radiotfs. <sighs> and there you go. Cool. Good show. Yeah, it was a great show, Martin. I want to thank you. Uh, thank you for back. coming on. Nice. It was a last-minute ad. Mickey and Paul were going to be here, but um, unfortunately, the real world intruded. Um, so you stepped up and, and jumped in. I really appreciate that. Oh, and most of you. <laughs> and I really I appreciate all you guys. This show, I miss everybody. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, our listeners are what, what, what keep us here. So I really want to thank you all. And thank you again for listening to Radio TFS. Radio TFS.